0: Well, good morning. Let me add my welcome. My name is Eric Hoffman, one of the executive pastors here at Fellowship, and so good to be with you and walk us through this psalm this morning. Um, before I, I dive in, I wanted just to say uh, a few things just about the the week that we had and and in, in our nation and the overturning of Roe versus Wade. And um, you know, for me, it was it's one of those moments where you know I've been hearing that um, those words like talked about my whole life. And in fact, you know, my parents were involved in certain uh, pro-life things and as a kid. And so, you know, as I've been reading this week and, and watching things, you know, one thing that's, I'm not on social media. And um, this week I was really glad I wasn't. Um, and so the thing is, is that uh, as we come into this, I, I was just like, how do we, how do I walk us through as a church this morning in, in such a, a week that is just the magnitude of this week? and. I think the the thing that I want to lead us in this morning is is how to pray. Uh how to respond in in prayer as as a people of God uh, in this nation. There's there's so much turmoil around this. What is this going to mean? All of these things. And so instead of us, you know, thinking about how do we post and how do we respond in that way, I want to think about how do we respond as Jesus followers in this moment and, and in such a huge moment in our country and and how do we how do we do this? And so um, reached out to Lloyd and uh, this morning, and exchanged a, a prayer. And I just want to just guide us, just humbly before the Father, and before the throne of grace, and for us as a people to to pray. Um, and and first, I want to say just giving thanks for people that have spent years. Um, and with representation and, and money and, and caring for people in, in times of crisis and things like that that have led to this point. So would you join with me um, as we pray um, this morning and I'll, and I'll lead, us, lead us through this prayer. So let's, let's pray. Oh, gracious heavenly father, you who spoke all things into being visible and invisible, Father, you are sovereign over all things. You rule and you reign over every king and every kingdom for your good pleasure and purpose. And so we as a people, as your people, come to you this morning humbly to beseech your favor, your will, and your way. We believe that you are the author and sustainer of all life that our days are numbered while in our mother's wombs. And we say, thank you for life, for every life, for every human being you create. May our deep conviction that every person is made in the image of God from the moment of conception be matched as a deep conviction that it is our love for every person, is our love for every person that proclaims most loudly and clearly that you are God. And so, Father, as we come to you in in this time, in this nation, as Roe v. Wade is overturned, we ask for your wisdom as your people, that we would not sleep through this opportunity given in this moment. And we pray that you would awaken us to be your voice, that we would speak loudly, not with this words, but with our actions that our words and actions would be full of grace and truth like you, Jesus. Father, I pray those in this room, those in, in our community and those in this local body, the men and women who make up fellowship, that you would move us into action some in this room are, are gonna be part of ministries and nonprofits that care for every woman who finds themselves struggling with an unplanned or unwanted pregnancy. Break our hearts wide open, that each one of us would live to ensure that no woman, no child would find themselves without tangible help in their time of need such that they could find hope, healing, and peace in life in you. And Father, we pray for those who are, what we would say, maybe understanding um, their voice is crying out that they're grieving and angry at this ruling. Father, we pray for them, that they would hear from us who follow Jesus, that we would love like you, Jesus, that our actions would be saturated in you, Jesus, with your compassion, with your understanding, with your humility, that no one who ever encountered you did not walk away understanding your love. May we be a church where women and families would not flinch at the thought of being being here. They would feel welcome with open arms. Jesus, would we Continue to think through how we can be Christians in this society, not expecting people who don't follow you to act like they are. Thank you for the grace of being in a country that we have freedom to vote, to have representatives. Father, we pray for our leadership, the authority that you have given over us in this nation. We pray for wisdom We pray for empathy, we pray for boldness. We pray that they would know you and that you are the supreme authority. And Jesus, in our community, the people that we will encounter, the people that we will come alongside, that we would be a place of grace and truth, accountability and growth. a place where the spirit is on the move and the gospel is proclaimed, trusted and lived. Father, we humbly come before you asking for help, thanking you that we are not alone. And we pray all these things as your people in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you all. You know, another thing I I wanna address this morning is our seating has changed. Um, And I know that's a big deal for some of you. Some of you walked in and were very confused because you're creatures of habit and you sit in the same seat every week and you went down an aisle and it was a dead end. And I just wanna address what you're feeling in this moment. Uh, One of the things we did um, is we changed this up because we're in the summer months and we we also wanted to change this up and, and try this out. We've never done this before. And I've, I've been here since the beginning and it threw me off, And I, but I love it. And here's why I love it, is it creates avenues for connection points along the way. And so as we're in a, as in the summer months, our hope is that you don't just walk in and walk out, but you get to know the people that are around you as we become a people, a community of people following Jesus and helping each other. So I hope that you embrace this change. I know change is hard for you. Um, some people, uh, some of you are like, I love it, I didn't even notice it was different. Oh, there's no, you know, so we, they're all spectrum. So just wanted to throw that out there as well. Well, we've been in the, in the Psalms and in the, in the, bo- uh, the book of Psalms and as we walk through this summer. And one of the things that we discovered is the Psalms are... the the Hebrew people's prayer book. And so we're reading these prayers uh, of God. And, And last week Lloyd was walking us through how do we handle grief? And it was a Psalm of Lament. And most of the Psalms are Psalms of Lament. And it makes sense if you think about that, the Psalms are prayers that much of life, we endure hardship. We come against things that that challenge our faith, that require faith and trust. And so we're walking into another Psalm of lament, Psalm of 39 this morning. So if you have your scriptures, we'd love for you to turn to Psalm 39 as we walk through this. And one of the things that you're gonna notice is that, you know, pain and suffering can look very differently. It's diverse. It's, some of it is very physical pain that you you will endure. That's pain that you you have in an illness or chronic pain or things like that. There's also relational pain, disappointments, um, that come in, th- things that we do to others that cause pain and suffering around us, not just relationally, but in- inwardly, internally. Then there are things that are external to us, things that happen in the world that we observe, uh, horrendous uh, mass shootings and, and things that happen in Ukraine. And what do we do with that pain and suffering that's external to us? And so this Psalm is gonna walk us through, how do we take our pain and suffering and bring it to God in His presence with raw honesty? And that's one of the things that as you read the, the Psalms, as you read them as prayers, it challenges you. And, and some of the things like when I, when I come to God and I, I don't know what to pray, I will open a Psalm because a Psalm will give me language of how to express raw, honest emotion. Like God is inviting His people to come to Him with their whole heart, with all that is, they are and all they are experiencing. And so that is the Psalms, that is these prayers that were coming before God. And the reality about pain and suffering is no amount of wealth, as David points out in this, no amount of control will ever stop pain and suffering from hitting you. Pain and suffering is the common denominator in this room. Whether you, There's varying levels, but all of us will experience pain and suffering in some points in our lives. And many of you are experiencing walking through things right now currently. And so how do we walk through that? Well, the answer is not in our self-sufficiency. The answer that David shows us is how do we walk through pain and suffering, lamenting to God, where we can actually bring our full selves, our honest selves, our whole heart into His presence, where His presence will change us and transform us, even though our situation may not change. How do we embrace that? So if you're taking notes, i want to put up on the screen the outline that I'm gonna kind of walk through, and this is, this is how we're gonna kind of walk through this. In the first part, we're gonna see that David names the pain in verses one through three. Then he feels the need in verses four through six. He invites hope in seven through 11. And then we're gonna end with how do we experience God's presence? And we're gonna walk through an exercise from morning, noon and night, the book that Rob Howard wrote on the Psalms and how to pray through that. So if you haven't already opened your scriptures to Psalm 39 and we're gonna read this prayer, the Psalm of David verses one through three, where he names the pain. I said, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle so long as the wicked are in my presence. I was mute and silent and I held my peace to no avail. And my distress grew worse. My heart became hot within me. And as I moved, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. So David here is saying, instead of lashing out and just speaking in front of everybody, that would be, that would be foolishness, he, he holds it in. But within, with holding it in, what happens? The anger does what? It consumes him, becomes, as he says, white hot within him and the fire burns. Now, many of us have experienced what David is, ta- is talking about. This. this is giving us language to kind of what happens. When we hold something in, it can consume us. Now this could look different ways for you. Some of you will lose sleep. Um, anxiety will, will kind of can take over. You, you start thinking about all the worst case scenarios. Our anger can also lead us down to some dark paths, some narratives. So as, as something's happening, he's wrestling with something happening internally. There's many times where this has happened to me where a problem or that I'm facing, something that I'm, I'm working through, if I just leave it in my own headspace, if my, in just my own, I don't bring it to God, I'm trying to figure it out, it will consume me. Like it gets, it can get to this dark path of this narrative of like it started here, but I'm like, I'm in, I'm in a totally different place down here. It's we're we're way off the reservation in my thoughts. I start believing these lies, that um, you know, I, I can do it on my own. I don't need others. All these sort of things. And I'm, how am I gonna, how am I gonna answer what's going on in here? And I start coming up with all these different narratives. But have you ever experienced like when when you actually start speaking something out loud? to somebody else are like, whoa, 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 whoa. whoa! Don't sell your house. Don't move out of state yet. Like, let's just do this. And you're like, whoa, I made this major deal out of something and because it was consuming us because we're in isolation. When we do things in isolation, it's always gonna take us down this path that's the the worst case scenario, or like the consume us in this way of David, what he's talking about. And so when we're we're doing this, one of the things I wanna just, just note that David, it, what he does in here is he brings, he's bringing this pain now in this prayer to God. He's naming the pain of this thing consuming him. So the way I would express this is David comes to an end, where he acknowledges they can't stay silent. Staying silent is not working. And so he names what's going on in him. So the, what, one of the things I want you to write down if you're taking notes is what goes unnamed has rule and reign. We need to name the pain and we cannot heal from what we do not name. We must bring to God this awareness of what's happening within us. So quick in the, in the moments of transgression, the moments of pain and suffering, to bring into awareness what is going on internally in us into the presence of God, to name what is going on, to bring that awareness to God quickly. And many of us, you know, we let suffering consume every part of us instead of trusting God with it. And so that's, that's one of the things that I've been thinking through in that. So David comes to this place where in verse four, he's gonna open his mouth. So let's look at verse four through six, where it is feeling the need that he's gonna express here. Oh Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am So he's expressing this need, this desire here. Behold, you have made my days a few hand and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. So we take a breath, Selah. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing, they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. So David breaks his silence here and, and how David breaks his silence what I want to uh, point out to you look imagine David's posture and how he's doing that his heart posture in here is humility Now when you think about that's very important how David is breaking his silence is not in justifying it is not in, in his defense, he's expressing a need that he has for God and he brings humility in here. He brings his desire that God would, it would, would show him how frail he is, how his days are numbered. Now that's important to, to highlight the humility of David because if you remember David from scriptures, I mean, the story of David, David was, was who? He was a king, early in his life he was a warrior, he was a poet, he was a musician, he had great influence uh, in this. I mean, if you were if you were to look at David's life uh, right now, he would be an influencer on TikTok and Instagram, right? He's, he'd be showing you all the things. Hey, I'm a I'm a musician. I'm all these things. Like, no, what does he do though? He doesn't show you. He doesn't. He not come to God with all of his lists of accolades. He comes to God with a humility of of that show me how frail, how short my life is. So David brings this. Now, what is What is David bringing here? One of the things that I I wanna point out is David is bringing two things that I think one one of the hardest things for us to do as human beings in relationship with other human beings and in relationship with God. He's asking for a correct view of of self and he's bringing his need. Those are two of the hardest things that prevent us from intimacy with God and intimacy with others. He's asking for a correct view of self. What do I mean by that? He's asking for, hey, show me how, how, how frail I am. Show me how, how life is so short that it is of a vapor, like that, that I'm, I'm really in comparison with you. I am not, I'm nothing, my life is, is nothing before you. Show me a correct view of self. It's one of the hardest things to do in a relationship. It's one of the hardest things to come and admit you're, that you're wrong. Admit that you don't have the full perspective. I mean, how many of us are looking at a situation, you know, if you're married or, or you have a relationship, you have a conflict going up, and you can name a hundred different ways that this person is wrong and not handling it correctly. But when it comes to introspection of like, how are you viewing yourself? Are you viewing yourself correctly? We, we struggle to find what we're doing wrong. Like, I don't, I'm not doing anything wrong, but here's the hundred, you know, the correct view of self is what David is actually doing with God. He is asking for a correct view of self, a correct view of life, of, of the temporariness, the frailness in here. And the second thing he's doing is he's admitting that he is in need, that he is weak, that he is, he is frail, that his transgressions, that the things that he's suffering, the things that are consuming him, that he, he needs God to do something for him, that he is in need. And that's the second thing that I would say is one of the hardest things for us to bring in relationship with each other and in relationship with God. That expressing need and vulnerability is not not weakness, but it's actually how we begin with intimacy, that we express a need. Expression of vulnerability must be present. Let me give you um, uh, how this has shown up in my story. So, if this is one of the hardest things to do in a, in a relationship, like we, Melissa and I, were early on in our marriage, we were about five years in, and we were just like stuck in this rut of, you know, she did not experience me as as vulnerability or need or or how I can need others. And remember how I said, and when you're in isolation, when you're just like dealing with an issue in your own space, right? You you start to believe these lies. We don't want to believe that we are as human beings are easily deceived but we are easily deceived and manipulated okay so in my own space I'm th- you know I believed these lies growing up that you know I don't need others I can't trust others I can I just do everything on my own so coming into marriage that doesn't quite work out as a great recipe like I don't need you but let's be married you know like that doesn't quite like jive right so we had been stuck in these ruts and we're, we're, you know, we're in counseling at this point, And so we're walking through um, and, and this counselor asked me this very poignant question, like after he hears my story and you know, all these, I did not have a, a correct view of self, I will say, uh, at walking in. And he asked, me this, he asked me this question, Eric, I want you to turn towards Melissa. And so our, our chairs are now facing each other, you know, two, three feet apart. I want you to turn towards Melissa. And I want you to tell Melissa, looking her in the eyes, how you need her. Where do you need Melissa? Now, what I wish I would have said, okay? this is all, What I wish I would have said would have been, Melissa, I need your companionship. Melissa, I, I need your listening ear. I need your compassion. Uh, I need your empathy. I, knew, I, need, I need how you look at relationships. I need how you look at our kids and how we're developing our character and why we're doing what we're doing. I need that from you. I need you to slow me down before I jump into action. I need you to consider, for me to consider things first. Now that's what I wish I would have said. Instead, I'm sitting here in this chair, Melissa's sitting here in this chair and the counselor's over here. And we began the three minutes of most painful, awkward silence that I've ever been a part of. I did not know. I was just like, don't, I, I don't know. I don't know how I need her. Now, what, what was happening there? Was it true? No, I would believed a lie. I've lived into this, this thing, but expressing vulnerability is not weakness. Expressing vulnerability is actually allowing yourself to be known, and so one of the things that we started discovering was, I had been living my whole life with a strategy of self-reliance, self-sufficiency, and expressing need. I had viewed it as, that's weakness. That's actually that's actually I'm, I'm going to guard against that. I'm going to guard against myself being hurt. I'm going to put up these walls. That strategy of of surviving, you know, worked early on, but it it was not serving me anymore in this relationship was not serving. Now I would love to say that that was just in relationship with others. That was just a relationship with people, but that also was in relationship with God. That's how I operated with God as well, that I don't need God. Now that was, that was one of the things that I had to start looking through. Like how am I living my life in a performance-based faith in self-reliance with God? So David is giving us this, this glimpse of, being needy doesn't make you weak, it makes you known. And so David is expressing this need that he has for God in his presence for him to give him a right view of self and that he's expressing a need for God to show him how frail he is. He's bringing what he needs from God in this moment. And that, that is a beautiful picture of what David is doing. David says, oh Lord, make me know my end. And what is the measures of my days? Let me, let me know how fleeting I am. So David's prayer is simply, Lord, remind me that this pain and suffering won't last forever. That life is too short to allow this pain and suffering to consume me. Most importantly, David realizes life is too short to suffer alone. You know, I was reminded of a book that I read um, that my father-in-law gave me a couple of years ago. It's called Out of the Blue. It was a story of Greg Murtha. I don't know if any of you have heard of Greg Murtha, but he helped start the uh, Institute of Halftime with Bob Buford and I Donate and all these things. Very successful in, in what he put his hands to. And there was this moment in, in Greg Murtha's life, and he's a local who lives in, in Brentwood, and a jarring moment happened in Greg Murtha's life when a doctor gave said four words to him, Greg, you have cancer. And it was an aggressive form of cancer. And, and immediately he was, in, he was into aggressive chemo and all those things. And I, I know I'm looking out in this room and I know that many of you have had those same four words, hit your story, hit your life, or somebody that you know. I mean, we've all have walked alongside someone in this, but the reason why I tell Greg's story is Psalm 39 of, of knowing our days, of, of, that our life is frail, all of those things, like how does that shape us? Like how does the pain and suffering of those moments, how does that shape us when everything is stripped away, where we intellectually know Jesus is enough, but this conviction happens deep down in someone. And Greg began uh, journaling through and blog posting about his journey. And it, it it became the book that I mentioned. And I wanna read an excerpt of what he discovered about a cancer as he walked through and was honest with God, would ask, God to shape him in his presence in this way. And he says in his book, in God's grace, he allowed me to get so sick that I had to slow down. I had to abandon my plans and move out of the way and learn to trust God by just being. Frankly, I would rather enjoy life this way and if only a few years than live for decades wrapped up in my small timid plans of insecurity and trusting self. You might say cancer got me out of my performance-based, fearful existence and into the bigger story. I'm not the man I used to be. Sure, this interruption to my well-planned life was jarring and chemo was hell, but I am thankful for cancer because it has given me the ability to focus on what matters most. Cancer has given me a different perspective, a voice, a clear understanding of how, how to join God's plan instead of focusing on just implementing mine. You see, bad things can turn out to be really good things, really good things. So how did Greg get to this place? It's a prayer like this of understanding the brevity of life that helps you refocus and shape a deep conviction when everything is stripped away. Five years ago, Greg was face-to-face with Jesus and what he longed for and pointed people to. In an interview before his death, Greg said in the hardest moment, I did not think about what car I wish I would have bought. I Did not think about where my house was or my kids went to school. I thought about my people, thought about my family, my friends, and those who did not know Jesus. Jesus had truly become everything. I was thinking about that. And one of the phrases that came to mind is life in this way, lived in this way is a journey of who you're becoming and who you're becoming with. And for that, it was recentered for for Greg and, and his understanding. It wasn't just an intellectual knowing of, of reading a Psalm like this and jotting down a few notes. It became a deep conviction that his life was fleeting, that everything else that would be stripped away, that Jesus truly was enough and that he could rest in that presence. And so it come to verses seven through 11. So what is the hope? What is the hope? Invite the hope. And now, O Lord... For what do I wait, my hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of the fool. I am mute, I do not open my mouth for it is you who have done it. Remove your stroke from me. I am spent by the hostility of your hand. When you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. Surely all mankind is a mere breath. So in light of what we just read of, of Greg's story, how is this inviting, how is this inviting hope to, to have God's hand in a, in a way that feels like rebuke and feels like it's pulling things away? How do, we, how do we measure those? How do we put those together? Well, in the doctrine of sovereignty that we looked at in Ruth, as we walk through the whole book of Ruth, what did we discover? God is sovereign in His providence over all creatures and, and all things. And so how do we take that, that the, the sovereignty of God, and that our consequences, our choices have consequences. And that they, those two things are compatible. That God is sovereign and God works through our choices and our consequences. Like how did those come together? Then they're compatible and here's how they're compatible. And here's what, there's where the hope is in this. David expresses the choices that he made, his, his transgressions and our choices and their consequences have ramification. Yet God works with, in and through people to accomplish His will and His plan. Why? Because God has committed Himself to people. In love, in His chesed love, He works in, through, and with us in brokenness and rebellious people who live life for our own good, but God in His sovereignty helps us to bring Him to the center for His glory and our good. So God is continually doing this. So David, when he says, when you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. So God is going to take what is dear to us that is actually not him. That is like, we're doing things that's right in our own eyes. We're looking at things of life apart from him. We're trying to satisfy or provide in our own self-sufficiency, life apart from him and what he's provided but God is going to take and consume like a moth, what is dear to him. So let me just say this, if God is best, if he is the creator of all things, if he is the most loving, then in his grace and in his tenderness, he's going to help us remove things that take life away from us, that bring and shift us back towards him. As Hebrews twelve seven reminds us, it says that we belong to him as sons and daughters. And and God disciplines those he loves because we are his sons and daughters. And none of us as sons and daughters look to our parents and, and don't we look to them as respect because they discipline us. How much more when God does this in our life? David is expressing the pain of things being stripped away. He's expressing the, the, the hardship of what that looks like. But he, if God commands us to love him with all we are, If God commands us to love him with all that we are, and he is creator and he knows all things created, he knows that nothing else in this life can satiate us, that nothing else can uh, we can find purpose apart from him. He knows that those are all vain uh, pursuits, empty vessels. And so in his love, He is going to, in his presence, show us who he is and that he is the only one who can satisfy. He is the only true loving one who's gonna love us in a way where we most need it, intimately known in him. It is actually unloving for him not to help us with this. And so we see that that is actually hopeful of God in his great care and love, takes his sovereignty and doesn't force us to love him, but actually helps us to love him and see his good character and how he is helping us see him in the midst of all things. So let's look at the presence. How do we bring our pain and suffering into the presence of God? Verses 12 through 13, David says, Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears. For I'm a sojourner with you, a guest like all my fathers. Look away from me that I may smile again before I depart in him no more. So David, because, he's, because life is brief, it is worth dwell, not dwelling on anger. He doesn't want it to consume us anymore. And what Rob Howard says, let the sufferer not be silent, but to speak to God. And so David is bringing his, his tears, his weeping before God. In his honesty, raw emotion. And Tim Keller uh, listened to his sermon on uh, Psalm 39. And I was reminded of, of what he says in here of our tears. What do we do with our tears? Where do they belong? They belong to God. And he says this, what keeps us from bringing our tears to God is actually fear. Fear keeps us from praying in this way that David shows us bringing our tears and weeping before him, it is our fear that it will not change. When we experience pain and suffering, our fear is that it will not get better. Our fear is that it will last forever. Our fear is that it will not produce anything good. And so we avoid weeping before God and bringing our fears and our raw emotion before him. It is only in our security in Jesus that we can bring our tears, our disappointments before him the tears of confession, the tears of repentance, the tears of relationships that have disappointed, the pain that we we suffer. It is only when we sow and invest our tears at his feet in his presence that we will experience the transforming work of God. The peace of God that we so desperately want and seek is not the absence of pain, the absence of negative thoughts, but is bringing our experience, our whole experience before God. As Philippians 4.9 says, then God of peace will be with you. It is a reminder that his presence, that although all might not be well, may be well in him. God invites his people to bring his whole, their whole hearts to him, to bring exactly what their experience is into his presence. And Jesus speaks these words to others, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. God invites us to do this. We do not have to suffer alone. And God's presence is better than our comfort, is better than our answers, better than knowing anything else. So we come to God with what we have, all that we are, knowing that God will meet us right where we are. So what do we do with suffering? Where does it belong? It belongs to God. What is our only hope in life and death is that we are not our own, but we belong to God. And so what is the answer of suffering? How do we answer this? What does suffering produce? And one of the things that I wanna say, suffering cannot be that God does not care. For God, had, In his sovereignty and his plan allowed his son to come under the choices of human beings. And Jesus wept at the death of his good friend, Lazarus. Jesus was betrayed by his disciples. Jesus was misunderstood. Jesus was judged falsely. Jesus was hurled with insults. Jesus was under the injustice of the legal system and endured physical violence. Jesus understands our pain and our suffering. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus lets us know that our suffering is not in vain, but produces life. And with that, I wanna to come to the table. I wanna do the, this in a different way. I want us to walk through the exercise of morning, new and night, and, but I wanna do it in this way. I want you to take out the bread and take out the cup And I want you to hold these in your hand and I'm gonna lead you through a prayer, but this is a tangible representation of Jesus, of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And so as we hold these in our hand, I'm gonna lead us through a prayer of bringing our pain and suffering, of actually applying exactly what David did and bringing our pain and suffering to God, of bringing our awareness of all these things to God. So as we hold these elements, we're gonna walk through these questions. And I wanna remind us, it's only through the death and resurrection, the life, death and resurrection of Jesus, that bring us the security to be able to pray honestly, that we are secure as sons and daughters because of what Jesus has done for us on our behalf, that we can come to the throne of grace because God invites us to bring our whole self to him, our honest prayers, because we are his and because he cares. So as we come this morning, because Jesus sees our pain, sees our suffering, that it's not in vain, it's not wasted, but is producing something when we come to him in his presence. So let's hold these and let's walk through this. Would you close your eyes? You may wanna change your posture, but we're gonna walk through this prayer of applying this text today. Would you take a deep breath and acknowledge God's presence with you in this moment? David brought his raw emotion, his emptiness, his transgressions, and his tears What's the most honest part of yourself that you could bring to God right now? How can you bring your honesty of where you are right now into God's presence? Share that with him. David brought his need and his desire before God. And with his need, he asked for a correct view of self. And he asked for his desire to be known how frail and limited are his days. So, what do you long for most in the pain and suffering that is happening in your life? Maybe that is from a transgression that you've done or something happening to you. What do you desire? What do you long for in this pain and suffering? Because we have a father who invites us, we have a father who loves us and calls us dearly loved children because of Jesus us to express our needs to Him. What do you need from God in this moment? Father, as we hold the bread, this tangible reminder of you sending your Son in your sovereignty to endure suffering on our behalf, that we may become children of God. Jesus, we thank you for giving your life, becoming obedient even to death on a cross so that we may be your children and know your great love and be brought back to you, taken heed. And as we hold the cup, we're reminded that it's not of our works. It's not the things that we have done, not the accolades that we have done to our performance, but it is Jesus. It is your death, your life, your resurrection. It is what you have done on our behalf. In your great grace, we come to you and we thank you for the blood you have shed that had paid the price that we could not pay the debt we owe, and the life we could not live. We find ourselves in our life in you, Jesus. Take and drink. Would you stand with me? I wanna remind us of the promises of God that come with this text. As we stand in response, as we close in singing together, the promise of God is that through faith, we are not alone promise of God is that he is with us. The promise of God that he's working all things out for the good of those who love him. And our pain is not wasted when it brings it to him, which we sing in closing of the promises of God.